Gyro Nation Metal. Welcome back to Gyro Nation Metal. My name is Jeff, and I'll be your host. Matt Maliti attended the Berkeley College of Music and currently instructs guitar, vocals, and bass at the Chatham School of Rock. He is also the guitarist and vocalist for the old-school death metal band Sentient Horror out of New Jersey. Sentient Horror is releasing their third full-length album, Rites of Gore, just three days from the release of this episode on April 22nd, 2022. Matt, welcome, and thank you for joining me today. Oh, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure for me as well. What are you most excited about for Rites of Gore? Um, I mean, it's always it's always exciting getting a new record out, um, especially, uh, you know, this, this record, um, this is the first one that features Evan Daniele, who... Uh, has been in the band for a while, but it just so happened that he took a bit of a hiatus from the band right, literally right before we were going to track Morbid Realms. So he was supposed to be on that record. Um, so it's really cool to have him finally, you know, after spending, I think maybe some something like five years in the band at this point, uh, to finally have him on a record. So what happened with your um, previous drummer then in order for him to come back? Or was it just kind of a, a space where there was no drummer? The, yeah, there was a space where there was no drummer. Um, so tr truth be told, um, and I, I think, I don't think this is necessarily like we were hiding anything. Um, so it is uh, programmed drums on Morbid Realms. And it's also programmed drums on Ungodly Forms. So uh, it just so happened the first two records were tracked in uh, a space of time where we were in between drummers. Um, so it's, it's nice to finally have a full length record with, with an actual drummer on it. Um, but no one seemed to complain about the drum, the, the program drums on the first two records. In fact, when I tell some people, they, some, some of them are, are a little fooled, you know, they thought it was, uh, you know, they thought it was a real drummer. So. Well, that's a good thing if you're, mm -hmm. um. If it's convincing enough that people think that it's a real person, yeah, and now for you're getting sure. to work with somebody who has their own creative freedom and and mm -hmm. direction as well as like commitment to the band. Yeah, of course. Uh, I mean, and Ev Evans Evans a fantastic drummer. Um, so we'd even talked about the idea of maybe in the future um, having him go back and and actually track Morbid Realms uh, for a re-release down down the line. But that that's just something like kind of you know just that that's just been in talks. Like I don't think that would happen even before the the next record you know but you know sometime in the future maybe that's what we might do uh if we have to if we have to re-release more realms again do you guys have like a predetermined set of like a like a release schedule of what you want to accomplish over the next few years or sort of a loose one um you know obviously uh things with covid kind of kind of put that a little askew you know um because mm -hmm. cuz morbid realms i mean unfortunately really we were geared up to like do all these shows. We, we were even going to do a fest um, up in Quebec, you know, we had uh, that was scheduled and like COVID happened and we got the opportunity to play live twice to support Morbid Realms. And then it was it, you know, so Morbid Realms uh, from a live pers perspective really got, you know, kind of got the shaft. Um, so, um, so at least uh, to come out and support Rites of Gore, it gives us the opportunity to play some of the songs from Morbid Realms more. Um, mm -hmm. You know, finally get to play those live more. And we, we've done a few shows already. How did that feel to get back on stage? Awesome. Yeah, really awesome. Uh, the first show we did back uh, was kind of, kind of a smallish show in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, but uh, it was packed. 
like absolutely packed. And um, yeah, I mean, the crowd response was great. So, and uh, yeah, I mean, we, we've got some stuff lined up uh, for this year so far. Uh, we're going to have some shows announced uh, shortly for the month of June. And then in July, we've also got a pair of shows that we're going to be getting announced pretty soon, uh, followed by the um, Into the Darkness Fest, which is going to be in Youngstown, Ohio. That's, uh, that's a festival that is being run by our record label, um, Redefining Darkness. So uh, they... Uh, they put together this lineup. It's got a whole ton of their bands. And then they've got some really great artists headlining, like uh, Deceased, uh, Horrendous, um, Imperial Triumphant. I know I'm forgetting another one, but if you guys are uh, listening, check out uh, check out their website or their, their social. Uh, uh, it's uh, Into the Darkness Fest. And you'll be able to get uh, the information on all the different bands playing there. So that's going to be a lot of fun. I know I know people are traveling to go to that fest, so... That'll be really cool. Is that one of the like multiple day festivals? It is. It's a two day fest. Oh, sweet. Mm-hmm. Do, do the bands play on both days or is it like kind of a different set list every day? D- d- uh, different bands on different days. I know we're playing the, the Saturday, which I believe is July 30th. Cool. Mm-hmm. And then do you have any tours booked subsequently with the release of this album? Uh, no, no tours. Touring is actually kind of kind of difficult for us to do just because of, uh, you know, kind of day job things and uh but uh we're, we're kind of making up for that by doing like regional outings you know over over a weekend so mm-hmm. uh that that allows us to kind of travel a bit and you know so so we're still able to to kind of travel outside our immediate radius but not in like a straight tour you know it's maybe like we we do you know we travel you know one weekend this month and then next month we'll go someplace else and so that that's kind of what we have planned. I think I like um smaller tours. I mean, sometimes it's better than bigger tours because you have like smaller, more intimate shows, and you have a better mm-hmm. chance of chatting with the band members. Mm-hmm. Um, the band members are always well rested too. Yeah, so when you have that's like true. Yeah. tour over a few months, you start mm-hmm. to notice that they get tired, and for good reason. Well, we did we did do a two week tour of Europe in two thousand eighteen, um, which was a lot of fun. That was in support of our EP, um, the the Crips Below EP. And the one thing I did like about going on tour for two weeks is that, um, you know, as a band, you you get really, really tight playing a show every single night. You know, by the second week, it was so it was so um, it just turns into like autopilot. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean, it's like, you know, it's almost like you don't have to think about what you're doing, that you can focus more on the performance, you know, and and. uh that that was a great feeling. I would love to do something like that again, and I'm sure we will. It's just not something that we can do super frequently. If there were a couple different countries that you could choose, where would you like to go? Um, I think it would be a lot of fun to do, uh, you know, a proper sort of a U.S. kind of thing because we've never really done that. We've never played outside of the Northeast. Okay. Um, so that, and we have wanted to go up to Canada. Um you know, as far as like regional stuff, um, you know, within this continent, not having to go overseas. Mm-hmm. Uh, Germany was a ton of fun. I'd love to go back there. Um, we didn't get a chance to play in the UK or um, in Scandinavia. So like those countries would be would be a lot of fun to tour in as well, if we ever got the opportunity to. Yeah, that'd be awesome. I know you touched on um, COVID earlier, and I just... Mm-hmm. 
I read one of your previous interviews and you said that you became quite pessimistic and misanthropic throughout the pandemic and it kind of <laughs> yeah. translated well into the music. So what were some of the most impactful things that you saw or experienced that led to the inspiration for the album? Um, you know, I think, I think with the, with the pandemic and, uh, it, it's, it's tough to kind of, to, to go on, uh, about this. Not, not that I'm uncomfortable going on about it. Um, more, more that, you know, it's, it's impossible to give a perspective on this without someone reinterpreting it, uh, you know, in, in a political way, which is what happened throughout the entire pandemic. You know, everything was po uh, politicized. Yeah. Um, in, in my viewpoint, um, it, it just kind of showed, you know, on a local level, and I'm just talking about like experiences that I heard personally with people just not being able to get along and agree on, you know, you know, just like, Hey, like if, if, a, you know, a business is asking, you know, especially like restaurants and, 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 uh, like, you know, like coffee places and stuff, asking people to wear masks. And then you got these people going in, refusing to do it and then getting violent with the people working there. Like that, that type of activity that, that was really disheartening to me. You know, that, that just was just like, man, you know, this was, this type of thing is like our, our opportunity as, as, as a human race to prove that we can come together in a, in the face of like a adversity that that's facing every, everyone on the world mm -hmm. in the world. And, uh, we weren't able to do that. <laughs> we still had to pick sides and fight over things. Um, as opposed to doing things that like, yeah, in, in the moment, obviously it's, it's, it's maybe an inconvenience, but you know, if it helps save lives or ease, ease uh, the stress for hospital workers or for essential workers, like, you know, why can't we just kind of, what, why does that have to be politicized and why, why can't we come together on that? So just seeing people's inability to do that, and again, I'm sure there's people listening to me out there who, who, uh, you know, might, might get turned off by what I'm saying, but, you know, I'm just kind of like speaking how it, how it affected me. Um, it just made me, yeah, it made me real pessimistic and just kind of like, man, like people suck. You know, I never really like felt that way, you know, that strongly about that before. Um, and so I guess just having that air of, of that to the writing process, I think that, that anger and that, that disappointment in how, uh, <laughs> and how we were able to get through, um, especially the early months of the pandemic. I think that really, really translated into particularly, particularly angry riffs <laughs> this time around. <laughs> uh, oh, definitely there's, there's 100%, you know, um, you know, Mor Morbid Realms, um, had a lot of influence on it, you know, from, um, uh, bands like Edge of Sanity especially the song call of ancient gods is very influenced by edge of sanity and um you know uh, a lot of a lot of the types of tracks on left hand path by entombed which uh you know they're, they're very exploratory you know edge of sanity is kind of progressive i don't i don't know if i'd necessarily call entombed i mean not progressive but it's you know it's 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 real creative with with how the tempos go up and down and the songs kind of have uh, you know, um, not, not a very linear flow to them. Whereas, uh, right to gore, I think that was a little more stripped down. It was, a, it's, it's a, it's a bit more straight ahead 
and and because of that it helped the riffs take on a more um I, you know for lack of a better term brutal i mean like that we're not i wouldn't call us a brutal death metal band but like it's it's definitely more in your face and fierce and and i think that uh um you know having that more straight ahead type of form to the songs um less less exploratory kind of kind of helped with that it's hard it's hard to be super fierce uh and and brutal if if you're trying to do like you know semi-progressive things with the music so do you think a lot of those changes were just organic based on kind of your mindset and your feelings or was that something that you deliberately changed it wasn't deliberate it was just something that i noticed was happening with the music as i was writing Hmm. um it's you know um the third third record you know there's kind of like a like a little you know, kind of a joke I've heard amongst, you know, people in the death metal scene is just like the demos in the first two records. That's all you need. You know, <laughs> like the, those tend to be the classic th output, you know, of most bands. And then like after that, it's just like, oh, yeah, either they, they change their style or they get stale or whatever. So, you know, that that sort of thing was kind of like looming overhead a little bit like, oh, man, now I'm on the third record. You know, is this going to be where, you know, where we kind of taper off? But uh, so it was it was hard to the initial motivation was difficult, especially because of the pandemic. And, you know, it's hard to feel motivated in when when you're not able to play or I mean, we weren't we weren't even able to rehearse for a long time, you know, mm -hmm. um, just because, you know, the studio space was closed and um, where, where we rehearse. So, you know, so I, I think that, um, you know, the it was kind of a just the element of everything um, when when it all kind of came together um resulted in like okay like these these tunes are more straightforward they're you know they're they're heavier they're they're more more ferocious overall and i and yeah i think that's pretty much what it was that i don't overthink it too much when i start to sit down to write i kind of have a general idea of where i want to go but then um i i think the direction presents itself as you write and then, and then once you're maybe like three, four songs in, you can take a step back and it's like, okay, this is where this record's going. And then you just kind of follow through with, with that idea. What were some of the things from the previous album that you wanted to stay consistent? That's a really good question. Um, I think the, um, I mean, I, I did like getting into, um, into again i hate to use the word progressive or technical or anything um but you know the the type of uh the, the type of riffing where it, it again it kind of reminds me of a of a band like edge of sanity or, or or some of the some of the stuff on the first two entombed records or even even like uh, that mid-era carcass or or death uh the that type of stuff where Again, it's it's you're you're not like doing like progressive death metal or anything like that, but it's it's a little more intricate than you know straight up just you know caveman, real super simple. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I and I liked I liked that. Um, so I did want to retain an element of that, and uh, particularly the influence that I was pulling from bands like Death and Carcass because they're they're counter to the the sort of, um, you know, like Swedish, uh, approach that, uh, I think really heavily, he heavily defined the first record, especially, and then also morbid realms. 
So kind of integrating those types of outside influences and seeing how I can translate that through the lens of, you know, the, um, the more like, you know, the chainsaw kind of guitar riffing and, and, and the tuning we use, um, which is we're in B standard tuning. Mm -hmm. So tr translating those types of influences through that lens, um, that was something I started to do in Morbid Realms and I wanted to continue doing that um, on Rites of Gore. So there is influence from bands like Carcass and and that sort of like mid mid era spiritual he spiritual healing was a big influence on um, on a lot of the songs on on uh, Rites of Gore. It sounds like you've put a lot of uh, a lot of thought into kind of experimenting within the confounds of straight death metal. So like you're trying to be more experimental and more progressive, but still within this without branching out into too many different genres. Yeah, exactly, and I, I think it's. Um, it's a fine line, you know, mm -hmm. it, and, and that's, the, that's that sort of like third record, um, you know, problem, so to speak, quote unquote problem, where it's like, you know, staying in, in one style of death metal, uh, some bands, not just death metal, metal in general, some bands are, you know, they can do the ACDC thing, where it's just consistently churn out the exact same thing. And like the quality never really goes anywhere. Some bands are amazing at doing that. Um, I don't think that's me. <laughs> I don't think I have, I have exactly that. Um, so it's, it's sort of like, what's, what's the next avenue to go to continue to write stuff that's going to be inspiring. And that's to start to try to new, do new things. Mm -hmm. Um, which is, I think why on a lot of bands discographies, you see the third record is when they start experimenting or trying a, 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 a change. Because it's just like, well, if you don't do that and you can't be an ACDC band, well, what, what is it? You know, you're just going to do subpar versions of the first two records again, you know? Yeah. So it's almost, it's almost like, I think it's for some of those bands, I can't, I can't speak for, for any other bands other than my own writing, but just as a listener, I, I almost feel like, um, you know, maybe they're trying new things because they need to continue to stay inspired and, um, and excited about writing something new. And if you're just going to sort of retread exactly what you did on the, on the first record or the first two records, you know, I, I think it's hard for a lot of people to stay inspired doing that. Yeah. You know, I think, I think to myself, it's just sort of like, you know, I already wrote those songs. Yeah. So what am I, I'm not gonna, if I rewrite, if I try to rewrite those songs, it, it's going to come off like a subpar version of the, of the song I already have, you know what I mean? So why not try to do something a little bit new? And, and for me, it, it is the, the newness was trying to get influences outside still, still in the old school realm, still the bands that I really like. Um, but trying to get those influences through the through sort of like the lens of of the sound we've established. I, I would never ever ever get rid of the H and two sound um, or or the tuning or anything. It's sort of like that's established. You can't you start messing with that, and then now you're a different band almost, you know. But I think that um, if I can inject um, influences from bands that don't already have that sound, but filter it through the lens of that sound that's uh that's how i feel that's how i felt i could i could keep um things fresh for me well and like you touched on earlier it's the 
from the fan standpoint, it's the debate whether you stay with the same sound and become stale or you experiment too much and lose some of the fan base because, you yeah. know, like you said, you sound like a different band. Mm-hmm. I think people have to embrace change a little bit more, but at the same time, I, I understand when bands go too far out of the regular realm that it does get like surprising. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, and, and that's where you get people that are fans of just particular errors of mm-hmm. bands. You know what I mean? Like you get people that only like, uh, a couple of records, you know, from, uh, I like the mid era of this band or I like the later stuff or the, you know, um, so, you know, obviously it's impossible to please everyone. And I, I really just think just for myself, um, if it's, if I'm entertained by the process, the writing process and the playing, you know, and performing then, and everyone else in the band is as well, then I think we're, we're doing the right thing because the last thing I would want to do would be to kind of go through the motions or, or do things that, uh, that I didn't feel were, were true to what was exciting me at the time, you know? Yeah, exactly. And then you're not pandering to, um, basically pandering to the public, taking too many suggestions. You're doing exactly what you want to do and it comes out as being more genuine. Yeah, for sure. I don't want to mispronounce his first name, but you worked with uh, Mr. Castellano there for your album artwork. And for some of the uh, oh, yeah. listeners who aren't familiar with his work, he's worked with uh, Black Dahlia Murder, Paganizer, Astroborn, Carnation, Hellslave, Boombath, and a Colombian band that I just interviewed, Soul de Sangre. Um, so did you seek him out specifically? Yes. Um, he was recommended to us by the, the artist who did our first records album cover, um, Patrick Tegbander. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he has a, uh, design, um, his, his design name is Chainsaw Design. He did our logo as well. Okay. Uh, and he, he's done a lot of our t-shirt, uh, designs. So he did our first album cover. And I think when it came time to do the EP, uh, he was taking a break from doing any, any designs. So I said, you know, do you, can you suggest someone? Mm-hmm. And he suggested Wanya. So, um, Wanya has been doing our artwork ever since the EP. He's done that. He did Morbid Realms and he, and he did Rites of Gore. And you plan on working with him for consistent or con- subsequent releases, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, awesome. I love his work. Yeah. yeah. It's all pretty, pretty awesome. Like, I've looked through pretty much all of his stuff and there aren't many pieces that I don't like. Yeah. No, he's great. Very, um, very uh, old, old school, of course. You know what I mean? Um, you know, paint, you know, painted kind of look and I, I really like that when you're getting something together for an, uh, an album cover how big is the original piece of artwork generally um i think that's probably different for different artists uh i don't know exactly if wanyo does does his stuff completely by hand or if he does it digitally or or starts by hand and then scans you know uh, i know different artists do different things mm-hmm. uh, i've seen pictures of like Dan Seagrave working on, on stuff where he is actually painting on a canvas. Um, and then he probably just scans it. So I can't speak for Wanyo. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I think it's probably just different for everyone. And you touched on it being more like suiting your music. So um, other than being painted and kind of having that old school feel, what is there anything specifically that you can see that for the, sorry, that's a really shitty question. Um, <laughs> So I guess what I'm trying to ask is like, what is it specifically about his artwork that matches your music so well? Oh, that, that, that's a really cool question. Um, you know, I, I like, so, okay. So there's one thing that I, that, um, 
I've learned, um, my, my, my wife does, does art, uh, not, not professionally, but she, she's an incredibly talented artist and she, she kind of, kind of cued me in on, on color theory, you know, um, sort of like what colors match and, and go well together. And, um, just, just from my, my very rudimentary understanding of color theory, Wanyo has a, a really great sense of his color palette and okay. like what, and, and to me that that's a very big, um, that that's a big element to how I remember album covers. So like, for example, um, to me, Scream Bloody Gore is like a green album or like Leprosy is like a pink purple album, you know, or, um, uh, I'm trying to think of like other records, like Left Hand Path is like a blue, like I, I associate those colors. It almost changes how I hear the record, like hmm. record, like Left Hand Path, like sounds blue to me. Cause the album cover is, is heavily, you know, blue tint, you know, blue tones. I can't imagine that album sounding the same way to me if it had like a red cover. It's, it's really weird. Yeah, it's weird, but like it, it definitely helps perceive how I hear the music, like the color choice and, and the predominant colors that are chosen for the, uh, for the album cover. Interesting. I was just thinking about, um, because you attended the Berkeley uh, College of Music there, and mm -hmm. I can imagine that kind of tying in with like musical theory as well, like you understanding the music a little bit more if you have like a fundamental understanding of how it should be written or kind of what constitutes, for lack of better terms, a proper song. Yeah, there's, I mean, th there's definitely some some element to that when, when you learn about like, you know, pitch and hearing, you know, a lot of people tend to associate colors with different pitches. And, and I kind of did that from an from an early age um not um not in the same way that um not like perfect pitch or anything but i i learned to kind of associate certain tones with certain colors um i don't have synesthesia or anything it's not like that it's you know because because i i came up with it on my own i know like synesthesia is you you know it's like a crossbreeding of the senses. So like you hear a sound and simultaneously like see a, a hue with it. And, and you can't control what, what color it is you, you see when you hear that sound. But uh, it's not like that. I, I just sort of started associating certain tone colors with certain tones just to help me remember the way certain things sounded. And I was a little kid, I did this, you know. That's really cool. Um, before we continue, uh, continue on, is there a place that we can see your waves artwork? Like, does she have it on social media or anything like that? You know, I th I think she might have uh, she might have gotten rid of her. Um, she had she had a social media page that was that was for her artwork. I think I think she might have actually di disabled that. Um, but um, but yeah, uh, so I I, I think she just has her personal uh, Instagram account, which uh, you know I don't really feel comfortable giving that out. Yeah, but, uh, totally. Yeah, so yeah, I, I I don't think she has her art page anymore. Okay. If she does end up having something up, would you mind sending that to me and I can put it on the episode as well? Sure. Cool. Going back, I mentioned a Colombian band called Sol de Sangre. I just want to give mm -hmm. a shout out to Gustavo and Gonzalo. They'll be appearing uh, on the podcast here shortly. Um, anyway, so the reason I'm bringing them up specifically is because they worked with uh, Juanjo as well. Juanjo, mm -hmm. sorry, Juanjo, um, Juanjo on a split album called La Senda de la Muerte with another Colombian death metal band called Penico Almiedo. If I said that right... 
great. If not, I'm so sorry. Um, anyways, I thought it was a cool project because it's a four song split EP solely of death metal covers. So they consist of the album cover consists of artwork from cover like separate albums. Um, let me see here. There's pestilence, um, death entombed and unleash. And it's kind of like an amalgamation of the four album covers. And it's pretty cool because each of those songs correspond from those specific albums. Oh, that's really cool. I th- you know what? Now that you mentioned, I think I might have seen that posted somewhere. Cool. Moving into your background here, you attended the Berkeley College of Music again. And uh, I read that you studied under Joe Stump. So were you one mm-hmm. of his students by chance or was he someone you sought out specifically? I sought him out specifically. Um, cool. He's he's super in demand. You know, it's kind of like you, you know... Um, you're, you're sort of lucky if you can get him as your like assigned private teacher because he mm-hmm. fills up super fast. But I kind of just approached him like um, during an off hour. I was just like, hey, do you, you know, do you give private lessons like outside of Berkeley at all? And he's, he's like, yeah, sure. You know, so I took lessons from him privately out, outside of Berkeley while I was attending. So I, ha- I had my own actual instructor there. But then I also was taking lessons from Joe. And uh, he was a very influential uh, person on me because um, not only was he inspiring to see someone play like the way he does, like, you know, two feet in front of you, like every week um, and, and be able to learn from him. But also um, he inspired me to, to pursue teaching because it, uh, you know, I, I was fascinated by the fact that he was making a, making a living, you know, getting to teach, uh, teach metal you know, and, and teach guitar and, and still, you know, he, he had a recording and performing career, uh, at the, simultaneously. So that was a big inspiration for me to pursue, uh, being a guitar teacher, which is what I still currently do. Mm-hmm. What do you find the most fulfilling about teaching? Um, I, I really enjoy, I enjoy the process of teaching. Like I, I enjoy the, um, I, I enjoy the the ability to the to share my my knowledge and um, and help uh, you know help help kids. Um, mostly, I, I, I do teach kids. Um, uh, you know, uh, down down their down their path, whether it's whether they're serious or they're just doing it for for fun or hobby. You know, it's uh, you know it's it's kind of like it's it's my job to to make sure they're they're getting the most out of out of their time with the instrument. You teach vocals as well. Is it mostly like metal vocals or is it clean singing? Um, I don't, I don't really teach vocals. Um, yeah, I, I think like, so, so there was a period of time where, um, I call it the death clock years, you know, where metal was particularly big, you know, in, in sort of a more mainstream ish kind of world. Uh, I think that was probably like the late two thousands to early 2010s. And at that time, I did have students that wanted to learn how to do like growls and and stuff like that. And so I did, you know, kind of help help some students with that at the time. But uh, yeah, that that era is um, it's uh, that that's that's definitely uh, long, long gone that I haven't had any kids interested in that type of thing for a very, very, very long time, many years. Do you see interests in very specific types of music or is it kind of all over the place? Um, so I have noticed that where I teach, um, if, if a kid is into metal these days, they, they tend to really be into, uh, who are some of the really big ones? Um, 
Dream Theater is really popular. Um, Ghost is really popular. Um, you know, re I mean, you know, ma mainstream stuff. No one's really into uh, ki kids that I teach anyway, aren't really into, uh, you know, the, the underground, you know, or, or anything particularly extreme. I think the most extreme you'll, you'll see a kid get into is, is Slayer or, uh, you know, uh, occasionally, um, you know, they'll, they'll discover death. But usually it's like the late, later era, like symbolic sound of perseverance, mm -hmm. you know, when, when they weren't really, you know, they weren't really playing like true, you know, like death metal anymore at that, at that point. But, um, again, not saying it's bad. I love all, all death records, but you know, sound of perseverance mu musically isn't really a death metal record. I don't think, but yeah, the extreme stuff isn't really, isn't really big, uh, with, with, uh, at least, at least with like high school kids and, and stuff, which is the age I, I, I usually work with. And so they're mostly into bands that are seen as more accessible at this point. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I think that that makes sense because I, my personal path towards extreme metal had a start with stuff that was more accessible too. like, yeah. I didn't dive, I didn't dive into listening to dismember like out the gate, you know what I mean? Like it, there was, there was a road I had to travel to get there. So, but once I, once I found myself there, I was like, okay, this is, this is my thing now, you know? So what was it that pushed you into heavier music? Was it curiosity or was it just certain sounds that you liked? So, you know, uh, I'm, I came from a background of, you know, and it's kind of evident by me going to, to, to a school like Berkeley and taking lessons from someone like, like Joe Stump. I, I was really into like the real sort of, you know, virtuosic guitar playing. Uh, and I still really enjoy a lot of those guitar players. Like, uh, it, you know, Ingve Malmsteen is a, a favorite of mine. And, um, um, some other, some other favorites I really love are like Marty Friedman and, um, um, so, some, some sort of like, uh, proto shred guys like My Michael Shanker. I'm a huge fan of, um, Gary Moore players and Stump turned me onto a lot of those players. But, um, you know, I was coming from that background and, uh, I was particularly into the band Symphony X, uh, when I was in my late teens and early twenties and their guitar player, Michael Romeo was doing a lot of these really wild like tapping and sweep arpeggio kind of kind of things um and around that time like a little bit later on um you know the tech death bands came out and a lot of those guitar players i don't know if they were directly influenced by michael romeo or or a lot of the neoclassical players but the guitar playing 100%. I mean, there, I, I knew the licks, like I, I was turned on to it, like necrophages and stuff like that. And I was just like, that sounds like Ingve playing over death metal, you know? And so the guitar playing is actually what drew me to it. Um, and then from the tech bands, I discovered death and then gradually, you know, um, kept exploring. You know, so it, so the bands I was into that, that were gateways for me, um, were bands like, like death, later era death, you know, um, carcass. But again, I didn't, I didn't start with symphonies of sickness. I, I had to start with hard work because my ear, my ear wasn't ready for symphonies of sickness yet. Yeah. And so ev eventually it, it was, you know, I, I got there eventually, but I, that's, that's why I, I, I don't really like fault gateway bands you know um uh, i know that that's a real common thing to do with with the underground scene is is to really like uh you know poke fun at a lot of the more ma mainstream 
extreme bands, but uh, I, I, you know, I don't, I don't fault that because if those bands didn't exist or the, or the easier listening version of extreme music didn't exist, I, I might not have ever uh, gotten into it. The real, you know, the, the true stuff, you know? Yeah. So who are some of the bands that you're into right now? Um, like, like classic bands or more recent bands? Whatever. Um, well, as far as, as far as death metal is concerned, you know, my, my favorites, um, of course, you know, this, the Swedish scene, I, I really, really latched onto that scene. You know, I, I've mentioned Entombed and Dismember and Edge of Sanity already. Um, those are probably the big three for me from the Swedish scene. Mm -hmm. Uh, and of course, of course you got Carnage too, um, which I mean, they only have one, one record, but, uh, it, that, that's, that's a classic. Uh, for the scene as far as i'm considered um death i mentioned uh carcass i love carcass um let's see who else uh i got in i mean I, I got into a lot of the european stuff i think just from proxy you know of of getting into the swedish stuff so yeah I'm, i i like bands like Gorefest. that's a big influence of my on on our music um which uh, which some people pick up on, but I, I think a lot of people don't realize exactly how much Gorefest is in is in our music. There's one track on the new record actually called uh, "The Eyes of Dread," which just unabashedly, I mean that that's like my Gorefest tribute track, you know. Um, and and when 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 you hear it, you'll know what I'm I'm referring to. Um, okay. It's yeah. I I just I just straight up just went for like that classic false sound that they that they had on that record. Um, but, um, you know, and I love obituary, I, you know, the more, you know, American bands, I, I love the old day aside stuff, uh, as far, as far as newer bands go, um, I really like, uh, I, yeah, I, I do actually like a lot of the, our label mates on redefining darkness. Um, I think, uh, the, the latest EP I've been listening to just nonstop is, uh, the Jesus wept EP. That thing rules, especially because I'm such a big Carcass fan. I mean, it's that's just like the the best not Carcass, but sounds like Carcass record I've heard in a really long time. Um, so I, I I really like those guys. I like Oxygen Destroyer too, which is they're also on Redefining Darkness. Um, Tombstoner, they're they're kind of from they're from the New York area, so we played with them. So yeah, as far as like our label mates go. Um, you know, those are some bands I really enjoy. Uh, I, I really like Necrot. Um, I really like their last two records. Um, Horrendous, you know, um, obviously I'm wearing, wearing their shirt right, right now. Um, Frozen Soul. I liked, I liked the Frozen Soul record, um, that came out, uh, was it Crypt, Crypts of Ice? Uh, Gate Creeper, of, of course, I, I, I really liked their last record. So, um, Trying to trying to think uh, if I'm forgetting anyone, but th those are some of the the more current, you know, bands that uh, that I'm into, as far as death metal is concerned. Anyway, when you listen to a band or when you listen to new music, it seems like that you're going to pick out a little bit more guitar because of your background. Is there anything mm -hmm. that's equally as important for you, like lyrics or vocals or bass? Or even um, you know, I think it's I, I think it's funny because because when I, when I listen to a band, I can almost tell who the main writer is based on what I hear in the forefront. So I can tell that, for example, Entombed, 
that Nikki Anderson is the main writer because it's so drum heavy. Like it, like if you, if you study his drum parts, which, which I had to, because we did a, uh, a cover set of Entombed, um, a few years ago, actually, uh, uh, that was the first gig we did with our current bass player, Tyler. Um, this must have been in 2017. We covered a, a set of Entombed tunes for like a like a Halloween show. Um, and so like I had to actually like, I figured everything out, you know, by ear um, for the guitar parts and, and really listened closely to the drum parts. With those Entombed songs, you, you take the, the guitars away and the drums are on their own, are so cool and musical and interesting and you can tell that you know that's what their songs are built around more than i mean they got great riffs but you know there to me it's like i can tell that the drummer is the main guy in that band just because of how strong and and centered around what the drums are doing the rest of the the music is whereas a band like death i can i can tell chuck's the writer because even though the drumming is really great, you can tell that the songs are, are really structured around the guitar parts. Mm -hmm. So that, that's kind of like the, the perspective I, I come from. I can tell like who the writer is based on, on what, I, what elements I'm hearing, like are, are driving the song. And, and I, I find a lot of death metal, uh, you know, must be written by drummers because I think that a lot of death metal tunes, um, you know, and even I would even say uh, grindcore specifically, like when you get into that that genre, um, the drums are like front and center. You know that that's kind of it. it it's almost like they're what the drums are doing is more important than what the guitar is doing with some of that stuff. Um, so so I I that's kind of how I wind up hearing things. Um, mm -hmm. For 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 vocals, um, I think you know. Um, it's, it's a, it's, it's funny because I, I do myself put a lot of thought into, into my lyrics. Um, but obviously that's an element that you can't really discern <laughs> that easily. Again, unless you're, you know, unless your ear is sort of accustomed to it, you could start to pick things out more. But, um, but I, I do think the lyrics are really important though, because I, I, I do think that as, as a vocalist, um, what you're singing about really needs to reflect what the music is. You know what I mean? Um, so I do think, I do think the vocals and the lyrics are important in that regard. Um, and I think you can tell when, when the singer really is feeling what they're, what they're singing, even if it's, you know, um, you know, e even if it's not totally discernible immediately to the listener. Well, a lot of that emotion comes out in the vocals and I don't know, maybe for lack of better terms, how powerful they are. And I don't necessarily mean sure. like the more loud, but just, again, there's that, um, the genuine feeling, I guess. And, and you can feel that emotion come through. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 100%. It looks like we've just had a little bit of an issue with connectivity. Um, before the crash, guys, we were talking about lyrics and vocals. Um, I don't quite remember where we left off. However, um, do you pay attention to lyrical content as well, like subject matter? Yeah. And um, I only really know how I, how I do it. Um, and believe it or not, my biggest inspiration for lyrics is King Diamond. 
um, not a death metal guy, but I, I, I really like how his lyrics are like uh, storytelling. Mm-hmm. So I, I kind of try to approach my own lyric writing in, in a similar fashion. Um, I've thought about doing things like story records, like he does, you know, where this is, there's like narrative through all the, through all the tracks. And I know exhumed did that on uh, death revenge. Mm-hmm. Um, but the only thing that, that is making me hesitant to try that is, is the simple fact that, you know, unless you're sitting there reading the, the lyrics out of, you know, a CD booklet or LP liner, it, you know, the, the vocals for death metal are, are so, you know, unintelligible that, you know, you can't, fo- you couldn't follow the narrative without the words in front of you, which, um, especially today in the, in the, in the day of streaming and everything, not everyone's going to be listening to, to your music with the lyrics in front of them, you know, so I, I can put a King Diamond record on and I, I can follow the story because I can understand everything he's saying, but with, with extreme vocals, you know, it's, it's not so easy to understand what's being said. So that's the only thing that's made me hesitant to try it myself. Um, but I, but I do just for individual songs, try to have almost kind of like a, like a narrative or, a, you know, or a scene that kind of like plays out. And then when it comes to your lyrics and from what I've read, uh, so I haven't read everything, but going through it, there's, there's definitely some gore in it, but it's not explicit. And you kind of leave a lot of the um, imagery up to the imagination of the list- listeners. Was that something you did intentionally or is it just something that kind of came out naturally in, in your way of writing? That I think a little bit of both. Um, so, um, you know, I, I, I don't have, I don't have a desire to, to out, to out gore or gro- gross you know, <laughs> out, out, out extreme anyone uh, on the lyrical front. You know, there's there's bands that do that way way better than than I probably could. Um, for me, it's more about subject matter, and um, you know, I, I'm a big horror movie fan, and you know, uh, the lyrics all kind of stem from from horror movie related types of things, and uh, um. Mor- morbid realms i was pulling more from like otherworldly kind of horror which was uh like lovecraftian or even like clive barker kind of stuff the the song um the song bound to madness specifically it was inspired by hellraiser it's uh kind of kind of describing the uh process of turning into a cenobite is uh what that song is about and then call of ancient gods is obviously you know kind of like call of cthulhu stuff but um Right to gore, I, I went more kind of traditional, like uh, as as is um, evident by the the album cover. You know, I I, sp- I specifically showed Wanyo a picture of the um, the sort of creep show mascot. So I was, I'm a big fan of that movie, um, Creep Show. So he sort of looks like the Crypt Keeper, but not entirely. So I showed Wanyo a picture of that guy, and I was just like, I want that dude on my album cover, like something someone that looks like that. And so, yeah, just that, that real sort of super traditional, like, uh, uh, horror, horror topics, you know, zombies. And, um, uh, there's a song about like, uh, the, the song descend to chaos is turning into a werewolf and then going out and, you know, slaughtering people or (laughs) while, while doing that. Right. So, 
So, you know, that, that real kind of like traditional, like stuff you'd read about in like a, like a horror comic book type of subject matter. It's kind of cheesy, but at the same time, I, I have fun with it. So I don't really care how, how, how cheesy it might read. Uh, you know, it's, it's fun to me. So. Well, and like we touched on earlier, you have to have fun. Um, yeah. you have to do something that you want or else it comes off as being disingenuous. Yeah, for sure. I like, I, I've thought about like, you know, I mean, some bands are really great with, um, the real, uh, you know, super descriptive, um, you know, entombed have great lyrics like that, where it's, um, Froze again, but sorry, we back? just uh, yeah, we are. It looks okay. like it at least. Um, so so yeah, band like Entombed is real great with those really sort of like almost esoteric kind of kind of lyrics and, um, but for me, it's yeah, it's it's easy, it's easiest to pull from 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 my love for, uh, of horror films. So that's that's mm -hmm. what I that's what I do, and and um, I made an effort to to at the very least kind of theme loosely theme the lyrics for every record to a to a kind of a genre ish of horror you know like i said morbid realms i went more like uh lovecraft you know the worldly horror and then this one's more like real traditional so i've actually been thinking about if i what kind of approach i want to do lyrically for the next record if i want to do like something uh like a different you know different vein or whatever are you thinking of staying with more self-contained stories or moving into like an overarching narrative like King Diamond? S still debating it. Um, you know, maybe that that's something that, uh, you know, if fans hear this podcast and they, they are like, oh, yeah, do a story record. You know, that might inspire me to say, OK, let me give it a shot. Well, and the best thing about um, like kind of being in charge of that is you can choose to do a story record and then move back into self-contained stories. It's not like you have to keep doing one thing. Yeah, for sure. So for those looking to find your music, where is the best place to find it for you guys? Um, I mean, Bandcamp is is uh, is cool because you can, you know, you can uh, if, if you like it, you can you can order the music right from there. Um, so uh, we, we have we're actually represented by two different record labels. Uh, Redefining Darkness is, as I've mentioned, is our label in North America. So for listeners in North America, you'd want to go to uh, Redefining Darkness, uh, their band camp, uh, if, you, if you'd like to. Um, well, now, um, I think by the time people will be hearing this, um, I don't know it'll, if it'll technically be a pre-order. Maybe for a few days, it'll still be a pre-order. Um, the new record, Rights of Gore, or any of our, of our older records that, are, that they have in stock. And then for uh, Europe, we're with Testimony Records. So they okay, handle... Cool. They handle the distribution over there um, and then they have their own band camp, um, you know, for, uh, you know, for, for ordering in, in Europe. But of course, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, Spotify, I think everyone uses some type of streaming service. I mean, we're on, we're on all the all the ma major streaming services, Spotify, Apple Music, etc. So. And so with um, before we close everything up here, um, Redefining Darkness, how did you get involved with them? And obviously how's your partnership? Well, not obviously, but that's anyways. Um, so, so it was, it was when we were kind of shopping around, um, uh, the first record, uh, ungodly forms, they, they were one of the, the labels that, that came back to me. And that's actually how we wound up being involved with two different labels because at, at the time, 
redefining darkness wasn't really distributing in Europe, but they had US distribution. And then testimony wasn't really distributing in the US, but they had European distribution. So, you know, it made sense to, and they, they had, they had partnered with some releases previously too. So we weren't the first band that they, they partnered, you know, with a release like that. Um, so, um, so that, that, that's kind of how that, that happened, but yeah, they, they contacted, um, they contacted me on the strength of the demo and, um, yeah, it, it just kind of like went, went from there. Uh, and, and Thomas who runs redefining darkness, uh, he's awesome, Re real easy to work with. Um, yeah, I'm very, very happy with, with what he's done for the band. Now releasing your album with two different record companies, was there any difficulty for you or, um, legal issues when it came to releasing with another label or was not, it just based on distribution? Not, not, not any legal issues. Um, but it's, it's tricky to coordinate things. You know and and the labels are are in you know they're in lockstep with one another like they they coordinate everything but sometimes it can be tricky because it's like you know you're 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 sort of like getting yeah you have to make sure it's not just like one other entity that has to have everything all online it's like two you know what i mean so sometimes that can be a little tricky but uh but it's 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 worked out you know are there any like specific conditions that you have to meet for European releases? Um, and the example that I can think of is when a lot of bands are releasing music in Japan, they have to have Japanese tracks. So I'm wondering if there's something similar uh, across the pond. No, um, I, th there's been nothing like that. Um, I know this, this record rights of gore is our first record with a bonus track, um, which was uh, we covered supposed to rot by entombed. Because uh, we had been playing that live um, at, at a lot of shows, actually. That that's uh, sometimes we'll, we'll just kind of like pull that out for fun. So since we we do that live a lot, um, we had been uh, th there's never been any like pressure to do a bonus track, but you know that's something that labels will ask for. And I'm not I'm not big on bonus tracks being like unreleased tracks because. In my mind, it's just like, well, if it wasn't good enough for the whole record, like, it's not really gonna, you know, should it should it even be like if it wasn't good enough to release on the actual record, like, why is it all of a sudden good enough, like, as an extra track? It's almost like throwaway, you know what I mean? Like, uh, um, so I, I would rather use everything that I feel is strong enough to release, and then save bonus tracks for like fun cover kind of stuff, which is what. The supposed to rot cover is but it's uh it's only available on the cd version of the album it's not on the lp it's not on digital you have to actually get the cd to listen to it yeah that's a really cool reason to go out and buy the cd like i still love physical media there's something to be mm -hmm. said about looking at the product going through the cd booklet and just having that physical media yeah for sure no me too i have a whole vinyl collection which uh, i don't listen to as much as i'd like to um but uh, just because most of my music listening opportunity happens on my commute to work, um, yeah. which I think is, is true for most people these days. But uh, but I do have a vinyl collection, um, you know, both uh, it's mo mostly old you stuff. But I, I buy if it's a new record that I really enjoy, I'll, I'll buy it. It's a good way to support uh, support the artists too. Like yeah, well, I, There's a huge resurgence of vinyl cassettes, like a lot of really cool merch ideas and. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, for sure. So yeah, just because I, you know, I'd appreciate that kind of support for my own band. I try to do it, you know, I, I try to sort of pay that forward to others. I just want to thank you again for joining me today, Matt. I appreciate it. I'm looking forward to your album, man. Awesome. Yeah, this is a this is a, t uh, a lot of fun uh, to do something like this. It's the first time I've I've uh, done a uh, recorded interview, um, uh, at least in a, in a while. I think I did one maybe like one or two releases ago. But uh, but yeah, this is a lot of fun. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for tuning in, and we will see you next time on Gyro Nation Metal. Please don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. The podcast can be found on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. If you would like to support this podcast, please consider checking out my Patreon. Thank you.